Hey, folks, just a quick heads up. This episode contains spoilers for F. Bill Street Could Talk. If you're fine with that, please keep going. If you want to wait until you've seen the film, come back next time or listen to one of our old podcasts. Um, so join us for this great review. Hey, welcome everybody to the Low Key Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Denny, and I'm here with Aaron Lantern. Yo, what's going on, everybody? And Tim Malloy. How's it going? All right. So um, today we're about to get into just a, just a nice little conversation about a movie that uh, I want to say that we all liked. I, I haven't really talked to the guys about it, but I know it resonated with me. And that's um, If Bill Street Could Talk. Directed by Barry Jenkins, the original book was written by James Baldwin. So, um, first, let's start with initial thoughts. Like, um, start with you, Aaron. Like, what did you think about it? Like, overall, what were your initial thoughts of the film? Initial thoughts. I need a hug. Let <laughs> <laughs> I get through looking at it. Um, first off, it, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I mean. Everybody I knew who seen who had seen the film has enjoyed it and told me I should definitely check it out. But I was like, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I honestly just wasn't sure what to expect. Um, mm-hmm. I actually had forgotten until after watching the film that I'd read the book, and I enjoyed that. So, um, although, of course, I walked away with a very uh, just sombering set of thoughts, but I can say those for later. Yeah. What about you, Tim? Did you get a haircut, by the way? I might have just combed it better today. Oh, okay. <laughs> combed it at all. Yeah. I thought it was really good. I think you guys should disclose that you are both from Memphis, where Beale Street gets its name. That is true. It's very um, true. I thought the movie was going to take place in Memphis, so I was a little bit disappointed when I found out it was New York, but then the movie quickly won me back over. Um, Beale Street is a pretty great metaphor that we might get into. Um, but yeah, I thought it was an absolutely beautiful movie. It it had moments that were just ecstatically gorgeous. The way that the way that Barry Jenkins shoots a movie just can't be can't be topped. I mean, it's so artistic and dreamy. Um, there were parts of it that frustrated me that I'll get into later, but overall, I thought it was a really good movie that people should go see. Yeah, and I pretty much feel the same. Like I really, honestly, didn't know what I was getting myself into. I I guess from not being on social media, a lot of stuff not not on my radar as much as it used to be. But um, actually, this young lady, Christina, told me about it, and we went to go see it, and um, I was like blown away by it. So it was like kind of like a hidden gem for me. And I don't, <laughs> I'm just like how Aaron, I, I feel what you say when you say like you you need a hug because at the end of the day, it's kind of one of them things where I'm not a I like all types of movies. I don't just be like running to go see a romance film. And I don't know too many guys that do, but the way that they depicted the love between those two characters was like something I haven't seen in a long time in cinema. So, uh, getting to that a little bit more. It's like, it was like, it was, it was a, um, if it felt like unconditional love, like, and these are two people who grew up together. So it wasn't like a situation like when you see romance movies now, it's like somebody was walking down the street, they bump into each other, and then somehow they start kicking it and hanging out a lot. 
or they might not like each other at one point and then they fall in love with each other. This movie starts off with the love, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like it was always there. And and I haven't I can't think of too many movies that I've watched that was like that in a sense that just kind of just gives you that hope of love and even regardless of like what was going on around them they still kept hold of that right yeah I really like that they known each other their entire lives and that they had a friendship before they were in love because at one point in the movie Fonny's mother calls what they what happened between them to just be lust and the fact that they've known each other for so long means that it's it's just a lot deeper than that and we are always really confident that these characters truly care about each other and this isn't like a passing fancy mm-hmm. you know it's funny you said that too because one of the things so i mean this isn't my favorite Baldwin book um I, i'm definitely a huge fan of his he is one of the great thinkers and writers of the last century but you know it's interesting that the mother uh, Fonny's mother I think there's something it's not I wouldn't say it's not missing, but it would just enhance the story to have seen her after that, um, you know, extremely realistic feeling fight, Uh, you know, because I feel like she is the one who in, in, in the her daughters. They are the ones who do not believe in the relationship. They they are the ones who do not believe this is this unrequited, unconditional love. They think it may falter for whatever reason. Uh, maybe just because they're lustful and um, you know whatever. It, it, but I don't know. It, it, I I do want to talk about this scene. Let's let's talk about this scene for a second, where uh, the two families are sitting together and finding out that um, uh, Tish is pregnant. What did y'all think of, of like that scene? Like, did that stand out as you were watching it? Because you guys watched it in the theater, right? Yeah. Um, for me, honestly, that's when I felt like I was more into the film. Yeah. Um, to cause cause for one, like when they even when they introduced the father, and you know when they sitting them down to kind of tell him, um, Tish father, to tell him that you know that she's pregnant you don't really know his character. Like, you don't know if he going to just shoot off or whatever. And he turned out to be a pretty chill dude. And mm-hmm. even um, Fonz, I can't never say his name. Uh, right. Fonny. Fonny. Even Fonny's um, father was pretty chill. But not his, his mother and his sisters, they were like, nah. And um, I don't know. I, I really liked the scene. I liked the dynamic. And it, and it also gave you a good feel for the first time in watching it. Like kind of like the dialogue in a sense, Cause, yeah. Because before that, it was more of a narrative from Tish's point of view, and then like her and um, Fanny talking and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and and more like just dealing with them and they like you know their their love and stuff like that. So it was good to see it shift to see the other characters and them working in, in their space with each other and having that confrontation. And it was actually pretty funny too. That shit was hilarious. Yeah, because black people when they fight, that that's it, it felt like it, the reason it felt tense. I was like, oh shit, I've seen this fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it, it was building up because it's like the the mother was saying too much slick shit. Like she said one too many slick things, and then she got slapped. Yeah, that was a yeah. crazy moment. Yeah, that was crazy. She, the husband. That was, was the crazy moment because like. 
what felt so real about it is like she was saying the worst stuff. I mean, she's saying things that were horrible. Yeah. And then when her husband or kind of estranged husband hits her for a moment, you're happy that she stopped talking. But then you're like, oh, am I happy that she just got hit? And then you're like, no, of course not. Like, and, 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 wrong. And, and, yeah. And then like, hey, y'all got to go. The men have to go right now. Yeah. This is, you're yeah. not going to improve the situation. You have to leave. <laughs> they just went to a bar or some shit. <laughs> That, that was such a great like mix of emotions and a sudden just jerking you around of emotions. And I love also how long that scene was. That scene felt like it went on for 10 minutes. Yeah, and you never it see scenes that it. long. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. rare. Um, but I thought it was handled very, very well. well. Now, um, I think you were going to say something about your wife, too. Yeah, so I think that scene was handled really well. And actually, my wife, she mentioned something that actually continued to stand out from that scene. She mentioned this point, and it continued to stand out that, you know, sometimes you can tell that um, a set of actors have a, a relationship, and, and they've kind of bonded um, in some way off the set. Like, so oftentimes when these people are in these scenes, every actor, like, they feel like really, really intimate moments. Not just actors working together, but like, mm-hmm. just... The, the when it's time to be intense, it's intense. When it's time to be uh, more caring and heartfelt uh, and and vulnerable, they're able to do that and do it really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and sometimes that that's hard to pull off even for great actors. But but to see like that every actor seem to have that that beat and bounce off of each other, I think is really a credit to Barry Jenkins. Yeah, I saw this at a screening for the rap where I work. Mm-hmm. Um, that was absolutely packed and partly because Barry Jenkins spoke at the end and he says that one thing he does is make you look in his character's eyes or try to get you to look in his God. character's eyes and spend a lot oh. of time looking yeah. in their eyes yeah and it's not just because whatever anybody who's watching it is going to be more involved in the character at that point but he also said and this is like this is a fairly diverse audience but I don't know it was like a Beverly Hills pretty white audience he said that this might be the only this might be the only time that some some people in the audience will ever look in a black person's eyes mm. or the first time that they ever look in a black person's eyes which is like horrifying to think that that's how divided people are or how in a bubble people are that that just never happens one way, show you, one way he, he showed that off too though there's so many little moments uh, God, I, it, this in, in the same way the people who made Spider-Verse really did a great job of representation um, and, and little bitty things that people might not pick up on. He did what you're talking about in a very interesting way. Or, or he, he demonstrated his point by showing it instead of telling it. I mean, he, they, they, there's telling because it's a narrative part of the reading the narrative from the Baldwin uh, novel. But that moment when she's putting on the perfume for the different people who come into the department store and the most intense moment of what he's speaking to is when that uh, that white man comes up and he's is sniffing her hand, mm-hmm. and he holds it up for a very long time. And it's like he is looking at her, but like it's more of like a glare, like it's a demonstration of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's different too. Yeah, looks in the movie are really important because another point he made is that the moment that that cop decides he's going to frame Fonny mm-hmm. is the moment that Fonny stares back at him where Fonny gets you know gets in trouble on some a completely bogus ridiculous charge a guy's trying to a guy's trying to basically grow up his girlfriend and he throws the guy out and the cop goes after Fonny 
Um, and then people stand up for him, and Fonnie doesn't get arrested, but he just holds that cop's gaze, and he will not, you know, back down like the cop wants him to. That's that seals his fate. Yeah, well, you know what sealed his fate more than that? It's another small thing black people all know and t- tell each other. Like, there's not like a black book. I don't know. I haven't been around old money black people very much, so I don't know how they communicate and what stories they tell people about how to survive in the world. But one of the real basic things that, you know, uh, you're taught is, say, like, when you have an interaction with a cop and it starts going wherever it's going, it's not just like y'all have an interaction that's normal and this dude looks like he's being aggressive. One of the main things you don't do, besides obviously not staring at him, because, you know, now you feel like, you know, you're trying to, you know, uh, bitch him out or something, do not ever tell them where you live. And he did that. And so the reason he could pinpoint, you know, approximately where the assailant went, you know, or the alleged assailant is he told him the street he lives on. So, he could, you know, go out and get a good sense of where he was, picked him up. Oh, he must have come over here. Yeah, that's it. You, you like it's just kind of like a a thing that people spread around and, and let folks know. Hey, like don't tell them where you live. They act, it's just like you ever seen those videos, those viral videos that go out recently, where like there's a and it's not even police. It's just you know there'll be some aggressive white person coming to a black person to keep saying you know you live in this complex. Tell me where you live. It's like oh hell no, no way I'm telling you where I live. Are you crazy? Hey, you're crazy ass. No, <laughs> no way. Yeah. What did um after that scene like? What do y'all think about the scene when he got upset when Fon finally got upset with Tish for taking up for him? Because when the cop comes up on him, she pretty much is in between Fonny and the cop, and and taking and pretty much speaking up for him and stuff like that. What did y'all think about that scene afterwards when he got upset? So here's this is actually pointing to something that I kind of was going to bring up later if I remembered, but um, this is the only time in the film where they really they're having like, well, okay, no, it's the second time. If you count one of them in jail. Where they they have an argument of sorts. But the thing is, in the book, what's really interesting, there's an article that was in the New Yorker. Uh, It's titled Can We Trust the Beauty of Barry Jenkins? If Bill Street could talk, what they're referring to is that the adaptation of this film is it, it it is really 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 focused on the romance, and it and I think it works very very well. But what is actually really interesting is it the book is focused on the romance, but not in the same way. Um, Fonny is a little more aggressive in the book. That's why at first, like I was like, I think I've read this, but like I kind of didn't recognize parts of the character. Because, like, for example, he does have a appreciation of Trish, I mean, Trish Tish. He thinks she is uh, somebody who's attractive, but he does make a point, and the article points this out of saying, well, she ain't all that great looking, but, you know, she know how to, uh, you know, basically be in the kitchen or whatever. I forgot exactly how to put it. But um, the moment where they're uh, being intimate for the first time, uh, the way Baldwin writes it is, like, Fonny is being very aggressive he's not being very gentle uh the movie of course handles this very differently (laughs) yeah um and and it's not it's not that he's uncaring he's just forceful and she doesn't she's hurting he did say you gonna have to get used to me (laughs) 
Well, he didn't know. It wasn't. A, it, it wasn't about that when when it was happening. He was in the book. He just was going for it. I mean, I look. I, I'm. I think the changes make sense, uh, particularly for for the film. But it does change the tenor of how some things look. So anyway, I say that to say, by the time you reach this moment in the book, it's it's not that you think he's a hothead, but it's kind of jarring in the film. This is the first time he's gotten like that with her. Mm-hmm. That's so different. Yeah. I thought it was a good choice. I thought it was kind of a response to everything that's happened in Hollywood in the last two years. Although they started shooting this movie, I think, before Me Too happened. Um, yeah. But they made a really conscious choice to make it from a female point of view. And my wife noticed that, too. She's like, you never see a moment where, like, the guy stands in his underwear. That never happens. Like, that's you know, but, always reversed. So, okay, I haven't seen Moonlight. Does he do uh, these sort of shots of, of men? Like, he, he's, like, really good at shooting the form of a man and, like, making you totally feel like you're in that moment and pay attention. Like, and he... And he takes time he pauses there for you to really soak that in yeah it's a lot like, of that in moonlight okay yeah i figured that's his, i think that that's his directorial style i'm um, not no i ain't got no problem with it but i mean he's just really good at it because my wife is like "Ooh, i'm like and i see she don't even do that too much and all she couldn't even help herself mm-hmm. when we're sitting there watching the movie <laughs> <laughs> the editor of the movie told him to hold the shot longer because the actor was hot uh. <laughs> like the, edit, the editor female editor was there and she's like, you should like hold that shot longer. Oh my god, that's funny. The um, I don't know. That scene really stood out to me though. And, yeah, yeah. And I, I thought it was shot really well. It's, very, very intimate. It was um, the it like you said, it was one of the first times where you see him get angry. The other, the only other time he got angry with her was the fact that he just been stuck in prison so long, and you know. He experiencing some things that you know they don't really disclose in the film, but all right. So you ready to have this part of the conversation? No, nah, I, w- I want to finish this statement that I was thinking too about okay. um, the scene where he go where he's upset with her. It made me think about how it's just even today in the black community, it's almost I don't see how I can put this into words. It's like. It made me think about slavery. It made me think about Jim Crow laws, and it made me even think about today, right? Whereas, like when you when you think about one of the main things that they did in slavery was to demasculate the um, African American male, and they would do that in front of his wife, in front of his children, and so on and so forth. So, one of the things that women come to men for, I mean, this just my view is a man, a woman won't be with a man that she could feel safe around and feel protected right so because throughout all these years and stuff black men have been demasculated and put in a form of being in a sense powerless or feeling powerless um that that form of protecting our women have been taken away from us and then now you see in these cases where um you can see straight up on social media uh, police officers gunning black men down that's even a more so showing um or showing out to the media that, that given the idea that we're powerless in a sense and i felt like in that scene Fonny felt that way like he felt like he she shouldn't be the one taking up for him he should be doing that for her 
which he did when he um beat up the guy uh-huh. that that came up on her. But at the same time, and and she even brought that up, like she said, okay, you took up for me, I could take up for you. And I think he said that, it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not the same thing. And that's the reason why is because of the fact that we've been demasculated for so long, you know. So it's like I think if if it was a different situation, like even if they were a different couple, he probably wouldn't have, you know, saw it that way. He would be like, okay, she just got my back. But because he feels like at all times he has to show, like, I can protect you, I can do this, I can do that, that really just um, hit him hard, you know. So, I don't know, that scene just really resonated with me personally. You don't want to have me messed up. Like, I kind of couldn't even stop thinking about it through the rest of the film. Was... um uh oh my god what is this actor's name jesus the Christ. guy from Atlanta. yes but what, what's his name yeah look, the man's a great actor all right like look i ain't got your name down there's no disrespect yeah uh, amazing we'll edit it in brian tyree henry okay right. cool, cool boss so from that i kind of couldn't even focus like i was i was in the movie the rest of it but the problem for me was and I'm I'm not saying problem because it was bad. It, it I mean the fact that it was impacting me the way it was. It shows that I was really into it. But the thing that's so just crazy is oftentimes when you are let's just say you're talking about what 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 the millennial generation, right? So oftentimes just because of how things have turned out in this country and this book is written in 1974. I don't remember exactly when it's supposed to take place. But, so my parents' generation, my mother was born, well, okay, I won't say exactly when. She was born in the 60s. Um, When she was born, she remembers, as she was growing up, she remembers having segregated water fountains and all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I say this to say, like, you know, this is not a generation who grew up with money. Um, middle class at best in many cases. So now we're talking about a situation where even today, um, you know, a lot of black families um, are in a similar spot. Or we're talking about like the first generation is going to college. A lot of times it's my parents' generation in the African-American community. So there are a lot of things that, that come with that. And one of those things is you tend to be in close proximity to people who are um, in and out of uh, prison, some kind of yeah prison or um, they, you know, they dig into things that aren't particularly legal or whatever, whatever. And there are a lot of things that come along with that. I've had that conversation um, in that scene with Fani and, and uh, his, his friend he grew up with who was a little bit older who had been to prison. I've had that conversation so many times. And it's interesting because when you talk to them about like when when you when your parents kind of helped you get to a place where you can go to college and you can have not, you know, like you can live modestly. You can kind of kind of come and go and you can visit other countries and you can meet all these people out in the world who are not black. And you can have all these different experiences. You can learn all these other languages. You're talking about Hajime Day and, you know, Ola and blah, 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 whatever language. Right. They haven't had that experience in one way or another. And there are these moments where Fonny's talking to him about, I, I, mean, I was about to get a loft. He's like, oh, a loft. Oh, I don't know shit about that. Or, you know, um, you know, stuff with his art. You know, at the very beginning, he's like, man, yeah, this, this is cool. This is something, blah, blah, blah. He can't even really get into it. But he 
believes that Fani is special and that he has gone out in the world and, and it had experiences. And when he talks to him about what he's gone through, I mean, Fani, there's just no way for him to relate. Yeah. I mean, like, he can understand some of what his friend is going through, but when he tells him, like, yeah, no, it, like, it'll get better, it'll be all right, he's like, nah, like, you don't get it. You you can't get it. And there are things about what I've seen that are going to impact the way I see white people for the rest of my life. And I will never be able to look at them the way you look at them because I have a certain experience. It's not to say that you're wrong about how you view things, but it's different. And then we'll find it's like, well, yeah, you know, this is that going on. And I just, before he gets into his story about prison, he talks about the things that, that, or actually after the fact, excuse me, when he gets into the things that center him in the world, his art, and Tish, he's like, I wish I had something like that. Yeah. And, and, dude, when that shit is something that you realize is still happening today, and you know people that's happening to who are family, who are friends, who are just people you've grown up with, and you realize, shit, I keep having this conversation too, it's jarring. Yeah. And I had to listen to a lot of Public Enemy today to feel better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was one of the scenes, that, like I was saying earlier, that when I watched it, I felt like I forgot to breathe for a second. I just, it just really like hit me hard or whatnot. And I just, uh, it was, it was terrifying, honestly. And like, yeah, it, it feels like, like a horror movie. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was even shot like a. It was, it kind of had that feel like you know, like when somebody in a horror movie telling like a ghost story or whatever. It's kind of foreshadowing yeah. that the same thing's gonna happen to the main character, and they kind of scared. That's the thing that was so creepy. Like the way he shot it. So Fonny's wearing like this green sweater, and like he would pan the camera. And so instead of like just doing like a shot switch, I, look, I'm I'm using the directorial shit incorrectly, but yeah, it's fine. You know how they would just pan the camera <laughs> over to the characters, like, and there's this moment where Fonny, like, he's wearing his green sweater, and he's kind of reaching out towards his friend, and the way he's reaching out, it's like he's talking to his future self, but he doesn't realize these things are going to occur to him, too. I ain't think about that. Dude, it's so trippy. Because also, he remember, he he was like, look, what they accused me of, like, I had some weed on me, but that was it. He didn't commit, you know, whatever. Are you talking about his friend? Yeah, he didn't do what they had accused him of doing. And he literally ended up in the same situation before a worse crime. Because he was like, you know, it's all about how long you in there, blah, blah, blah. He was in there much longer than two years, I'm sure. Because the kid is, like, walking and playing with crayons and stuff. You know, I mean, that's not a two-year-old. Are you talking about Fani now? Yeah, well, Fani's son at the end. Well, yeah, He'd been in prison a while. Yeah, once Fani goes to prison. And, um... It's just crazy, like, even, like, so he, he goes to prison for, a, he was accused of raping a Puerto Rican woman. Right. And what did y'all, I think Tim had mentioned this earlier, like, the whole scene where Tiff's mother, who's played by Regina King, goes to Puerto Rico. What, what were you saying at one point about that scene? Like, what did that feel like to you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not proud of this, but in the theater, <laughs> I lean over to my wife and I'm like, "That would never happen." Um, <laughs> like, like, well, okay, now keep like, in mind. That, I mean, look, that's true to the the uh, book, but like, what, what do you mean it wouldn't happen? What part of? It? Well, and 
again, I'm not proud of this response first because no one should ever talk in a movie theater ever. <laughs> I wouldn't especially direct that message at the two women who are sitting to my left, um, who were French, I believe, who spoke all through the movie. Yeah, <laughs> talked on their phones. Never do that again. Um, but when they went to Puerto Rico, I was like, they've got a lawyer. They've got an apparently good lawyer. Why would he let? the mother of the accused go to Puerto Rico to talk to a witness. That feels like the definition of witness tampering, which, you know, if that had been, let me put it this way. If that had turned things in Fonny's favor, it would have been like, this is totally fake. Why did they take me out of this great movie with this ridiculous trip? But the fact that Fonny does end up behind bars and it didn't work, I'm kind of like, okay, I guess that's, if Regina King had managed to sway the victim and that had been the turning point in the movie, I would have just thought that's completely phony and that's Hollywood stuff. Um, but because she didn't, I can certainly let it go in the service of a great movie. What I thought was happening was, you've got Regina King in your movie, give her something really good and dramatic to do. That makes sense. <laughs> I, I, I understand the motive there. Um, it just felt, it didn't feel totally realistic to me. I'm trying to think. Actually, look, I said it happened in the book. Did that happen in the book? I can't remember now. The th- oh, another th- Okay, here's something. I just wanted to mention this, too. Um, something that definitely happened in the book that did not happen um, in the film. Uh, Fonny's father dies. Huh? Like He gets oh, caught. I can't remember if he gets committed suicide or what it is, but he gets caught um, stealing at the docks yeah. by, the, by his boss. And so there's also that one thing like and the thing is weird because I felt like if you keep that in some of the other contexts that kind of keep it as a tragedy aren't really necessary. Like the movie is clearly it's not a mainstream Hollywood film. Uh, It's meant to be for the audience that it's for. And it's very proud of that. But that also meant like I kind of didn't know why it was keeping. I mean, narrative wise, this, this was in the book, but I didn't know why they kept going back to like. Here's how things were, and here's the history of slavery, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I mean, we kind of know that. If you're going to watch this movie, you know, I don't know if you need that context, because you probably come in with a good sense of that already. I feel like the the tragedy of, of how it impacted the entire circle would have been great to show instead. Like, include a couple of scenes showing some of these other details that are much more grimy, make it even more sad, but show how that stuff you know, impacted people at their time. I mean, and, and oftentimes it's still perpetuated today. Yeah. I have this thought about black filmmakers in general that I am a white person, full disclosure. I'm not uh-huh. speaking for anyone. This is just like a sense that I get. And I don't think it, I, I think it sucks. I feel like there's an added burden to like, I can't just make a movie that, knows what I know, I have to also ex- over-explain things sometimes to a white audience who actually don't understand this. Okay, and do you think white people needed that? I'm, I'm not, I think you're right, but I'm saying, do you I, think white audience members did not have that in their head as like some context to keep in mind in the background, you know? There are absolutely white audience members who, who don't need it and don't need the exposition, but then there's also like there's these members who do need the exposition who probably still won't get it even if you explain it. I mean, there's so, so so, exactly, exactly right. So, like, do you need to do it? 
it's a tricky thing. It's like whenever you write anything, you're like, I want to give the minimum amount of exposition necessary. And if you're telling a story that has like some social justice message behind it or a really good message about, hey, this is how the criminal justice system unfairly targets black men, how much context do you have to give them to explain like, hey, by the way, this isn't just about funny. Like, yeah. you guys realize that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, if, if you're making that movie for an all-black audience or an all, let's just say an all-smart audience, <laughs> you wouldn't need to make that point. But if you're t- if you're also trying to reach people who never, ever think about this and are just like, uh, Bumblebee sold out, which we see, um, you don't know who's going to walk into the theater. You've got to mass communicate. Do you need to over-explain some things? Because this movie did, I think, over-explain some things, but I also... You know, I understand why. You want to make sure your point lands. And you literally will be surprised at the things that people don't know in this day and age about history. So, and then just adding to Tim's point too, it does depend on like you as a filmmaker, like why are you even making this movie, right? So if you're making it to make a particular point, you want to make sure that that comes across. That's fair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh man, I just can't believe you had to do that. It's like we're, I don't know. It, it, it's, I think Barry Jenkins would know better than, than my amateur ass would. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, damn, like, it, it's kind of depressing. It it still seems necessary to make sure that people, you know, kind of get that hint. You know, the rap did a story a while ago where we asked, this was like two years ago, I think, where we asked filmmakers what's the dumbest note you've gotten on your script? And one of the notes that Moonlight got was, where are all the white people? Oh! <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> there's going to be people who can't accept, like, hey, uh, this movie takes place on a Native American reservation. Um, there might not be a white person there to, you know, be your surrogate. Sorry. You know, Roma takes place in Mexico. There may not be an English speaker to walk you through things. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh you, you man! You've had millions, this conversation before. You you watch the millions <laughs> of other movies that's um, filled with white people. So, um, so well, it's weird because you can make, you know, Woody Allen doesn't like slow down and go like, "Hey, I'm talking about this really specific New York stuff." Let me explain this to everybody who doesn't live in New York. He just, like, <laughs> throws the jokes in, and then everybody goes, like, oh, I get it. Ha-ha. Imagine if, like, all the movies made in New York and California, you know, it's just like, let me stop and give exposition for this. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Like, but it's, yeah. And it's funny, because sometimes they'll do that for the subway stuff. Occasionally a film will do that for, for, uh, for New York movies, and you're like, oh, my God, that's the most boring thing ever. Yeah. And then I... I I don't know what I would know if I didn't have it over-explained to me. Like, what I, with the Spike Lee movie with, with Black Klansman, where he makes the connection with Birth of a Nation, would I have made that connection if he didn't really overtly spell out the propaganda of Birth of a Nation? Okay, but look, that, that's, that's kind of a... Of the Ku Klux Klan? That's kind of like a history lesson on something that's a little more complicated. I, I think if you're a person who thinks that, you know... Uh, things all honky dory in, in the ghettos of the seventies. You probably aren't going to be into this film anyway. Yeah, 
the film is very man. Like I, I will say, I I was watching the film and at times I was like, damn. Like if I were white, I'd probably be salty. Like the movies are so mad at white people like the whole time. And then like I don't know which Franco that is, but I was like, man, he's it's, not um, Jewish, is it? It's Dave Franco. Okay. I well, like that was a no what <laughs> no. But that was the cool thing about the movie is that you hear a lot of people just explicitly saying like I don't trust white people and I'm sitting there as a white person going like okay 1970s like just just take that punch like that's a Dude, fair, that's I don't, a fair point well look but what what Keith and I were getting at is 2018 often well oh 19 excuse me sure. uh, yeah oftentimes come off comes off their way too like you have so look one of the things it's it's so slight. It's not like they spend a lot of time. She doesn't repeat it several times. But remember how she, there's this moment where Tish even says like, "I'm not around white people," and to see him around white people and speaking a different language. Well, first off, she was really attracted by that. But also, it was like, yeah, not not just because he's with white people, but just the fact that he was outside the neighborhood and really had like a you know he's to some people he seemed like a very cultured man and people from all over. You know the different boroughs really she, loved fun. She never and seen she never seen him outside of his element. Yeah, but the thing outside. is, I say that to say she doesn't get outside like that outside nah, nah. of the borough, and, but, and many other people in the neighborhood did not. Yeah, but that's so pretty, that's pretty. So remember when the friend though. saw him and he was like, "What's what's up with the clothes you got on?" He's like, "Oh, you know, I'm trying to get a job." He's like, oh, "Okay." But like, you know, he was you know, I mean, he's he's jokingly clowning him for it, but like, he is clowning him for it, you know. Yeah, like it's um, and you see that that's still that's still a thing today. That's you know? what I'm saying. Yeah, like, and it's like just you, the same kind of thing. You know, folks back home in North Memphis, they don't hardly leave out of North Memphis. They don't go to Cordova, Collierville, or nothing like that. I'd be like, step outside your hood, man. Well, like, look, look, and here's other weird stuff. Like when I went to college, uh, and I was telling my family where I was going, they were like, "Oh, so you going to a white school?" I was like, uh, I mean, it's a state <laughs> that, university. That, that is technically a white school. I don't know why you act like that's a weird thing to say. Okay, no, but, but like, the fact, you know, because they were like, I mean, you're not going to go to an HBCU or, you know, so on and so forth. And I was like, well, look, man, when HBCU give me a full ride, we'll see. Man, that's a whole other was, thing. Too. It was 10, but the thing it was is, 10 when black I kids at your to, school, man. But look, when I got <laughs> to Knoxville and I was going to school out there, I had a lot of great experiences yeah, at the University of Tennessee. But one of the things I did come across was white people who never around black people. And that's a different kind of thing, too. Because they would even do stuff, and then they'd be really ashamed if if the black people found out that they were doing some of these things. Like, they used to call Memphis Mifrica. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. When I, I didn't even hear from a white person the first time. I did, there's a long story behind this. I ain't gonna get into it now. But, like, there, there's always this interesting thing that happens when you Get out of your circles. Oh, and you, start you gotta explain the mythical thing. You know. huh? what, what are they trying to call it? Like Africa? Yeah, Mythical. like you know, it's okay. it's 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 this place of of you know, it's it's a mostly black city. People, are, it's like one of the murder capitals. People always shooting each other, unorganized, and you know, Mephrica. It's it's wild out there. It's like a jungle. There's so hmm. many black people. You, you can't go anywhere without seeing black people. You know, it's like a jungle to them. There's a lot of black people there, but that's no. Nah, but they, racist. they, you know, they see black people as subhuman, you know, people. Whether they realize yeah. what they're saying or not, like it, there's nothing funny about just, you know. Yeah, I was out. I was out always, you, you know oh, what the context of people referring to Africa is of today? Like it's ugly, 
And it shouldn't be that way, but people go about, you know, saying things that way. So the thing is, you know, you have to learn to compartmentalize it. Everybody's not like that. And that's like a no shit thing. But like when you have been around people who are constantly being treated systematically a certain way and those people happen to be white. And then, you know, you're around people who don't acknowledge your ideas and the way you talk and all that kind of stuff. It can really get to you. So you either learn how to deal with it or, you know, you don't. And it's one of the great quotes from James Baldwin. I can't remember exactly verbatim what it is, but he was basically saying that to be a black person in America is to be in a rage all the time. Yeah, I remember saying that. Hence is why I didn't go to Knoxville. I ain't got time for that shit. But anyway, you can't escape that part. But, but anyway, I I know we got to be getting off of here soon. But before we go, I want to. What do you got? Do you you guys think this movie might be up for any Academy Awards or anything like that? We find out very soon. I believe next week. I'm the I'm the uh, an editor at a large entertainment site, so I should know this. Um, I don't remember <laughs> the exact day, but <laughs> one of these but, weekends uh, coming up. Yeah, gone. we're gonna find out the Oscar nominees, and I think this is, I, I feel like this should have a strong chance. I mean, Barry Jenkins is coming off of a Best Picture win. Yeah. I feel oh, like that's wow. Yeah, that is nomination. true. Yeah, personally, I just thought like it had kind of more exhilarating highs than Moonlight did, and I thought Moonlight was really good. Um, but this just soared more at places, especially the scenes that we talked about um, with talking about going to prison and the scene with the family. I mean, those two were just standouts I'll remember forever. Yeah, exactly. Um, you got anything to add, Aaron? I do, but we can't be here all night. Um, <laughs> so, but what I will say is, uh, it'd be great if you guys, uh, if you made it this far, thank you very much for listening to the conversation. Please share it with one person. We, we, we really think that would be impactful for us. You share, uh, this great content. Also, please leave us a review. Um, that'd also be incredible, incredibly helpful to, our feed. Also, uh, don't forget to check out Tim Malloy's other podcast with his lovely wife. Shoot this now. And uh, Keith and I also have a podcast, uh, aside from this one, called Meanwhile in the Multiverse. So please check those out. Um, if you don't have anything else to, to listen to on your commute or while you're exercising, whatever you're doing while you podcasting. So we really appreciate you making it this far. And uh, Keith, what about you? Anything you'd like to tell the people before we leave? Oh, no, nah, we good. Um, just like what you had, it was a great movie. It was a beautiful movie. Um, yeah. I think Barry Jenkins might be up for Best Picture again or maybe um, Screenplay. But um, we'll just we'll just wait to see. You know, we get credit where credit is due here. So, um, But to reiterate what Aaron said, y'all, you guys, please leave us a review. At this point, I don't even care if it's bad. Just say something. <laughs> 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 I mean, people I'll, are listening, I'll, so that's great. Just yeah, you know, any feedback is helpful, you know. So, so we appreciate yeah. it. But yeah, we have thousands of silent listeners who give us no feedback on either way. Hey, you guys are appreciated. So uh, keep listening. Please share with a friend, and uh, we'll hit y'all up next time with some fun. Okay, cool. Peace. All right, see you.